Pastor Joe. And I'm Kirsten. We've served in church leadership for over two decades. And most of that, we've been on staff together. We're here to talk about our faith, family, and ministry. Welcome to Under the Hood. Hey, welcome everybody. Good to have you here today. As always, greatly appreciate any time that you spend uh, listening to Kirsten and I talk about our life, our faith, our family, our ministry, all that good stuff. And we are coming to you today from a very warm office at New Life, and it is cold outside. Kirsten? Baby, it's cold outside. Baby, it's cold outside. That's been the theme for a few days here in Northwest Arkansas, at least. I think a lot of places are cold. It's like negative six. Maybe not right now, but it has been. It has been brutally cold, but the snow was awesome. I mean, I like, I mean, I don't know how you guys feel, but there's a sentiment a lot around a lot of people that, hey, if it's going to be this cold, it might as well snow. Do you feel that way, Kirsten? Well, yeah, I like the snow. I like when things shut down. (laughs) (laughs) Abby, what about you? If it's going to be this cold, it might as well snow. Yeah, it might as well. But I just hate the cold. <laughs> I mean, if we could just do without, I'd be so happy. I will I say this. It. I thought of you this morning when I woke up and I was warm. And then I checked the temperature because we do have it like on our app, our phone. And it was 60 degrees in our house. And I was like, oh, is it only 60? Huh. You were warm? Well, it's because we do have like an electric blanket that in like when I get in bed, I'll turn it on like one or two to stay warm when I get in bed. Well, I really should probably turn it off because I'm like, it's so hot. And then it's like trying to keep temperature to like 60 or 63. And I'm like, oh, we need to turn that down. And I just chuckle. I think of you and I'm like, well, some people would be cold if it was 73. So anyway, it's kind we, of we actually have a his and her side electric blanket. It's one big electric blanket, but it's got dual control. You oh, got nice. His side, her side. And now we're making everybody comfortable because we're talking about in our bedroom. <laughs> in our bedroom. <laughs> We've really gone far. We've crossed the line, folks. <laughs> but I'll turn my side on. I'll crank it up to 10, which is I the know, highest. which is that, insane. But I do that for about five or 10 minutes before I go to bed because you know how cold it is when you mm-hmm. get into bed, those sheets. So I warm it up. Then I get in and then I shut it off because, but sometimes... I'll fall asleep with it on. I have fallen asleep with it on a 10 and I will wake up and I'll, I kid you not, I'll wake up in the middle of the night and I, and I've got not to gross about, I got like sweat on my pillow. I am miserable. I'm like, what's going on? I'm like, I'm parched. Then I'm like, Oh, I left my heat blanket on. So, and usually, and and so usually, you know, I'm like, oh man, how could I do that? Because I've I've done that before. But you know, sometimes when you crawl into bed, and and our our bedroom, um, you know, we run a pellet stove. Um, when it gets really cold. Well, our house came with a pellet stove. I love it. It's one of my we favorite things. We didn't know things. what a pellet stove was until we moved here. No, up in Kansas City, we had a furnace. I mean, you, you turn on the heat and you hear you hear the fire come on. Boom. We and had that, a furnace everywhere we lived except here. It was a gas furnace and it would heat the whole house, like hot heat. So that was the biggest surprise moved here. We didn't know what a heat pump was. We're looking through the house. We're like, oh, look, there's a fireplace. And then the realtor's like, mm, no, that's a pellet stove. We're like, what's that? So then they told us, we're like, oh, okay. I think the home we were staying in at the time had one. I didn't mess with it. When our first winter we were here, I just cranked the heat up like we lived in Kansas City. And like, you know, a lot of people here in Bella Vista, every time it gets cold, they're like, what's with these heat pumps? They, You know, we thought it was broken. It had a brand new heat and air system. We're like, it's blowing cold air. Why is it blowing cold <laughs> air? And like, so um, in our first heat bill, that first winter we moved here nine years ago, it was so outrageous. Of course, we are coming from a much, much smaller house with a gas furnace. And I never had to pay these kind of utility bills. I was like, it was a shocker. And uh, then we're like, something's got to change here. So well, I'm like, maybe we should use this. Pellet what's stove? this pellet stove thing? So I, I researched it cause I didn't know what it was and uh, bought the pellets, fired it up. And this thing cranks out the heat. Like you would not believe. So we shut off. What we do is we shut off the back part of our house. There's a pocket door that cuts off our laundry room and a back. So we got our living room, kitchen, dining room, 
and then we just crank it and it really warms that part of the house really but well. But it doesn't get to our bedrooms. It, that's the hard part. It's cheaper to, well, pellets are getting so expensive anymore, but it used to be cheaper to heat Starting it. to talk like an old guy. I know. <laughs> Back in my day. Um, but anyway, it's, Sorry it's. Sorry to all you old timers. Pellets are like twice as much for a bag of pellets than they were a decade ago. But anyway, um. But anyway, so back in the bedrooms is that heat doesn't quite get back there enough. And so our room is Stays pretty cool. cold, but we love to sleep when it's cold. Yeah. So I turn on the heat blanket. But we'll walk outside to the living room in the morning. We're like, oh, wow, it's so comfortable out here. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. It's 60. But when you fall 63. asleep. But when I crawl into bed and it's cold back there in our bedroom and I crawl into bed and I'm like, oh, and then that heat, that heat blanket just kind of wraps you up like a warm burrito and and <laughs> kind of hungry got taco bell cravings right now and taco then bell. and then and then i fall asleep boom and then i forget to shut it off and then a couple hours later i'm like dying <laughs> and so anyway so there's our sleeping pattern so we want to talk about our faith our life our ministry or all that stuff there you go joe can't fall asleep with a heat blanket or he'll wake up two hours later a sweaty mess so there you go there's <laughs> yeah, a visual exactly. for you no but it, it has been cold but i was going to say we have our title of under the hood and joe has been under the hood even more so with our cars lately and it is in the shop i have a picture of you under the hood because we've had our car in the shop three times lately but i think we finally got it figured out it was a mystery problem you ever had one of those car problems where you and nobody and, and like our car lately has been doing the typical thing. You take it to the shop and you're like, I swear it's messing up. But it they, was. <laughs> but they can't. And then they look at it and be like, mm, it's in your head. No, and no. They, like, no, it really is. So we had it in there two times and they're like, no, just change the oil. By the third time, they're like, oh, yeah, it is really messed up. Yeah, it's going to be a hefty one. We're it's, bracing for impact. Yeah. But that's all right. You know, I was telling, you know, when it comes to stuff like that, um, Kirsten and I were, it's, it's a pretty big uh, uh, bill to swallow, but that's okay. Um, you know, welcome to adulthood, I guess. You know, this is what adulting is like. But I told Kirsten, this is our perspective on it. Everybody's going to have car problems at some point. Everybody's going to have emergency situations. Everybody, it's just our turn. Nobody's immune from yeah. it. It's just, so it's. But now it seems like anytime you have the hood popped up, I'm taking a picture of you because I'm like, we literally do have an under the hood podcast and it's not supposed to be about cars, but lately we've had a lot of car problems. We probably could have a podcast on cars and issues. <laughs> yeah. It's all right though. We just couldn't tell anyone how to diagnose the problem. Like, I can do tell you have you. one of those nifty things that you just like plug in and then it gives you a code and then you call the, the person who fixes cars and you tell them the code number. That's how you fix a car. That's, that's Man, about all I'm I telling know. you. It, being a mechanic's a little different these days. You have to oh, have yeah, mechanic. That, that word was hard for me. I yeah. couldn't remember what it was called. <laughs> I mean, I mean, some of the mechanics that we use here at the church and guys I know in the church and just, I mean, they're all great mechanics. But the way cars are these days, I mean, you have to have a computer to talk to your computer to tell you what's going on way down deep inside. And and there's a part of me. There's a part of me that just wants to find a 25-year-old car that some grandma has driven for, you know, and it's like a 25-year-old car that's got like 70,000 miles on it, and it's been garage kept and babied, and it's pre all this computer stuff, and, you know, parts are are plentiful, and, and you just swap. I don't even care what the car looks like. Those are the kind of cars I look for, and and things that are not complicated, don't require a lot of electronics, relatively speaking. And if it breaks, it's very simply, it's straightforward and you just fix it and you take care of it and you drive it. Th that's my kind of car. Good Kirsten, luck. what's your kind of car? <laughs> Kirsten wants cars that heat her body and massage her at the same time driving down the road, glide no, down the road, I, no, all the bells and whistles. But I do like a heated steering wheel. That is Ooh, nice. Really? They make those. You want a heated steering wheel? This is shocking to me. Well, as long as I don't have it blowing on me or something. It's just like a warmth. It's like a little warm hug. <laughs> it's like holding on to like someone's warm hand. It's it's kind. It's a gentle little warmth. You know, you get in the car, it's cold, and then you can click that button and it kind of heats it up a little bit. It is, it's a little, it's a little nice. 
My daily driver is 23 years old and it suits me just fine. I like it. It's uh, it now there's been a few times I've wanted to roll it down a ravine and forget I ever had it, but you know what? Every day. You know, in fact, in fact, uh, a friend of mine <clears throat> brought it back to life. I thought it was a goner and uh, a friend of mine who's really good. He's like, he's really good with cars. He's like, um, let me have a crack at it. And it turns out that it was stuff that he could figure out and didn't take a lot of money to get it going. And it's been running good ever since. I just put some new tires on it the other day, which, you know, the last two sets of tires I put on my car, I thought this will be the last set of tires and this will not survive. Nope. Run out those tires, put on a new set of tires. And so I put, I needed two new tires on the front. So I went and put them on there and the guy at the, at the, at the tire shop goes, gives me all the different stuff from cheap. I said, dude, I need, I need the cheapest tires you got. And cause I don't think, cause I said, this has got to be the last tire rotation. And he goes, let me see if I got some used tires. I said, even better. And, um, but it turns out he didn't. And so I put two new tires. We couldn't go that low. And so, uh, cause I'm thinking, man, I'm on borrowed time, but these are my kind of vehicles. They're they're simple. The reason, and we have an extra vehicle and that's because, we have a new driver starting next week. Yes, Brock is Brock going to get his license. 16 this I can't coming believe weekend, it. And uh, I have <sighs> such mixed feelings about that. So all, He's ready. all three of our vehicles will be being used. He can't wait to stretch his wings. He, it's a good thing, though, that he didn't get his license before we got my car <laughs> back. Because it's been in the shop for a week or two. And what is Brock looking forward to more than anything else? It's not driving himself to school. It's not having freedom. He is looking forward to not having to hang out with us all weekend at church. <laughs> yeah, he does say that. He, to leave early. he wants to go to a service and then go home. <laughs> and I that feel is true. He has. And I remember I was a preacher's kid too. I remember it was like you sit around church. This is what a lot of people don't understand about being the son or daughter of a preacher. You are stuck there with your dad and mom, you know, and my boys, they've weathered that just fine. A lot of times they'll serve and it's not a big deal. But when he's not serving and I'm like, okay, so we're going to go out to the Highlands campus and we're going to be there at nine and 11 and then we'll go back. And we got to discover new life. We'll drop you off at home before that. What? (laughs) Sorry, bud. Do you want to get a ride? A couple of weeks ago, I said, you could get a ride home. And he's like, okay, my friend here, Caden, he's going to take me home. I'm like, okay. And he left. And then I called him like, wait, you're supposed to be here. We were supposed to be do, doing something in the service, the next service. And I had totally forgotten. Yeah, and that I, was the weekend I introduced you guys to the Highlands campus. I was like, you have to come back. I totally <laughs> forgot. So his friend, Caden, bless his heart, turned around, brought him all the way back out to the Highlands campus. Because I just, I would turn him loose. Yeah, sure. Go ahead and leave. So, yeah, he is definitely looking forward to being able to yeah. have his own set of wheels. I just, uh, it's hard. There's for been a many, many a times where like he'll be here all weekend with us, every service. And by the time we get to the third service or the final one, whichever one, and like, dude, just go, go to my office and watch a Netflix show and we'll see. <laughs> just be ready. But he, that, both of our boys have done pretty good with that. But he is looking forward to being able to come to church and then after he's done serving and worshiping, get in the car and drive home and not have to keep the same kind of hours that you, because you and I, Kirsten, you have to admit, we keep some crazy hours. It is going to be really weird though, to have him like uh, not have to go get him after school, not have to take him to his cello lesson. Like I remember when Neil got his license and that was really helpful because then Neil was taking him to school, you know, both of them and stuff, but Neil had his own practices and stuff. And so I still, you know, brought Brock around. So it's going to be, it's going to be weird. Hmm. I don't know. It's going to be really, I'm happy for him. I know how excited he is. I remember the same thing when I was 15 turning 16. And so I'm excited for him, but (laughs) it's hard. It's really hard. So I'm excited for him. I am too. He can handle it. He's a Williams. Sunday, you talked about generosity and you had a preacher's opener opening joke. And I just want to let you know. It's a great joke, by the way. You said you you've shared with the church several times this joke and I laugh every time. I think they're laughing to 
to help you out. No, no, no. <laughs> no I, I, it, it was funny. It was, <laughs> I I was <laughs> online and I gave like a little drum like boom. <laughs> I think online honestly, because I was like, oh, the the preacher joke. I think we should share that joke right now for anybody that has missed that joke um, on Sunday morning. It's worth sharing again. So for your listening enjoyment, here you go. <laughs> There was these two guys that they were in a shipwreck and they were marooned, just the two of them, on a deserted island, real small thing, out in the middle of the ocean. And this first guy, he was freaking out. We're lost. We're going to die out here. No one knows where we're at. But the second guy took his shirt off, made a place on the beach, laid back and started working on his suntan. And then the first guy was like, how can you be so chill about this? Nobody knows where we are. We got nothing. We got no way to communicate. And and the guy that was sunbathing, he's like, dude, listen, it's going to be fine. We're going to get through this. It's not a big deal. And the first guy goes, what do you mean it's not a big deal? It's a huge deal. And the guy sunbathing goes, listen, sit down, relax. Let let me tell you something about me. And he adjusts his sunglasses and leans up on the beach. And he said, listen, I'm a very successful businessman. And I make over a hundred grand a week. And I tithe faithfully to my church every week. You don't have anything to worry about. My preacher, he'll find me. All right, that's, that's the end. All right. I think you need to follow up with people and let them know that you don't actually know what people give. That's very true. I don't. I, I, <laughs> you I left don't. him hanging. I thought, for sure he's going to tell people <coughs> that he actually doesn't know. Well, I think that joke speaks into a perception it is that a lot of people have about preachers. You know, that's, that's the, you're right. To, to answer your question, here's a follow-up. I have no idea who gives what in this church. One of us do. Um, I don't, um, I don't have anything to do with that side of the church in the sense of, Mm -hmm. I don't count the money. I, I, we have accountants and David is our executive pastor who oversees all the finances. There's a very small team of people, trusted, vetted people that do the counting under with great accountability. Mm -hmm. Um, But no, I have no knowledge of anybody's giving. And that's that's on purpose. Well, that's what I think makes it even funnier. Like, don't worry, my preacher will find me. (laughs) (laughs) And I was like, Unless you go to New Life, I think there's probably pastors out there that do know. Oh, a lot, a lot of them do. A lot of my friends do that. Now, for me. way I feel I've have felt about it my whole career and how I still feel about it. And I don't know what would change that, but quite honestly, um, it sometimes gets a little blurry when you know what people give. Well, I and, think well, you're able to treat everyone fairly that's right. and, and kindly, um, with just this integrity behind it of knowing I'm treating everyone the same, no matter what. That's right. If they give, if they don't give, if they give a lot, if they give a little, you have no idea. And so you're going to treat everyone the same. Human nature. And I think we'd all know this human nature is you're going to gravitate to the people that are, that are financially doing something to benefit. And like Mm -hmm. human nature is to gravitate towards those people. Mm And, um, I, um, I, uh, this sounds holier than thou, and I don't mean it to be, but I don't want to be in that position. Yeah. And the best way to not be in that position is to not have knowledge of who is and who isn't. Mm-hmm. So when I'm preaching about like right now we're in this generosity series, mm-hmm. I'm not thinking of anybody right. specifically. Right. If I were to tell a story about somebody, I'm not relating that to anybody in our church. Cause I don't have that same knowledge. And. And, um, but that's a purposeful decision that not every preacher shares that, but I, that's my, that's my position. It's why you're supposed to give from your heart. It's not like, oh, so that it can be a look at me or so that my preacher will, you know, give me more attention or, um, spend more time or go to lunch with me or whatever. It's, it's giving from your heart and, um, doing what, what you feel like God's calling you to do. So anyway, I thought funny joke. Ha ha ha. But but isn't, you know why that joke is so funny though, is because it, it, it speaks into a stereotype that is a sad stereotype because if you, if you ask most people just, this is the lie that the world has bought and I know why they bought into it, but the lie is this. And it's probably one of the biggest criticisms from atheist and, um, and things like that is, is the church is only here so they can get in your wallet. And that preacher up there is only talking about money because he wants you to give because somehow he personally benefits from, Mm. from that giving the, the way I benefit 
from people's generosity as the church provides me an income. It, mm-hmm. This is my career, you know, and, and, um, um, but that's how I personally it's not benefit based on the percentage no. of what people are giving. So no, not it's at not all. like, Oh, well you brought in this much this week. So you get this much to take home. Not at all. Cause I think that would be right. really unhealthy and really unfair for any church to do it. That I don't way. know of any church that does it that way. Can you know? I am not aware of any commission-based salaries in the ministry. (laughs) Can you imagine? That'd be interesting. We should we should look into that. What would the commission be based on? I know. Baptism. I was gonna say it shouldn't be on finances. Oh my gosh. Um, And I think some people though there is a mentality like. I remember I, I was friends with someone who told me that they went to a Catholic church and I have some Catholic friends, so I should ask them, but they said that instead of like tithes and offerings, what we call it, they called it pew rent. (laughs) Pew rent. Isn't that weird? Do they have assigned pews that they sit in? I'm not like they're renting. If I'm paying rent on a pew, you better believe I'm going to have a name tag and assigned seats. Slang though. Do you I, think it's slang for a Catholic what? to call it pew rent? Well, first of all, I don't know if that's a thing. That's what your friend said? Yeah. So th- like this legit. So like, it's not very, I mean, we're not suggesting this is what Catholics call it, but that's what your friend, yeah, who sure. is a Catholic, called I pay my pew rent. And I was like, is that a thing? That has to, that has to be like a slang or der- that has to be. That Derogatory. Can't, I like can't for, imagine. Yeah. So anyway, I, I don't know. Like everybody approaches it differently. So they're like, well, I went to church, so I have to pay money. That's so crazy. Like, that's weird. But you know what? You're still speaking into that perception that yes, a lot of people that's have. What I mean. You have to pay to be here. You have to pay. You know, like, no, okay, you don't. Because I heard a good sermon, so I am going to give extra money because I felt like it was a good message today. Oh, it wasn't a good message, so I'm gonna. I'm only gonna throw in five dollars. It's not anything from the heart, Abby. Pew rents were a thing in Catholic churches. Most of them had been abolished by the late 1940s, but it was a thing. You actually rented. Yeah. Was that just in the Catholic church? Is that what they said? in Catholic churches. Oh, Catholic church. And was that instead of giving tithes and offerings, they called it pew rent? Um, Let's see. Uh, I've 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 never heard of such a thing. And that was the only, I grew up in a church similar to New Life. It would be considered like a non-denominational Bible-believing Christian church. And so to have that, when I heard that the first time, it was just so different than what I yeah. had always heard my whole life. So I'm like, pew rent? Why, well, what? You know, now think about this conversation we're having. We're all Christians mm-hmm. and we're having this conversation based on what I think we all have a proper understanding, what the Bible teaches about generosity and tithing. And But think about somebody who's not a Christian mm-hmm. and they hear that stuff and it just feeds into this perception well, the church just wants my money and this and that. And I couldn't, nothing could be further from the truth. But one thing that really just grates against my spirit are, are these like health and wealth gospel preachers mm-hmm. of like, like they try to connect. Um, listen, the reason you're sick or you're not prospering in life is because, you know, you're not giving, giving enough. enough. And they, they'll say yeah. things like, listen, plant a seed of a thousand dollars and in three months it will be three thousand dollars. Like, mm-hmm. There is so much stuff, and I'm not going to call out any television channels, but there's a number of them <laughs> on cable that I have access to on my DirecTV account that I'll sometimes... I don't know. DirecTV always is in disputes with someone. So <laughs> there's some good programming there's a few on there. channels that are always blocked. Well, I know. There, there's, there's, there's some good programming on there, but a lot of it is this health and wealth kind of preaching, and it's and it's... In my opinion, it drives from this. Hey, we've got to buy airtime, and we got to pay for this studio, and 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 then some of these. And again, I'm going to be guilt. I'm going to be really careful here um, when I say this, but there are a a, a a feels like a growing number of these ministers who are in these mega super kind of ministries that are always, and a lot of them are on TV, and they're always pumping their people for money so they can fly around in Learjets and live in, mm-hmm. you know, multi-million dollar mansions. So and we they shouldn't mention our well, Learjet here? No, yeah, we keep it parked out back <laughs> um, next to my Jaguar. But anyway, it's, it, no, <laughs> I have no Jaguar. Um, and there's nothing wrong with Jaguars. I'm just saying I don't have one. We just um, don't have one. But what I'm saying is that 
the world looks in at what they see. Right. And and I could list off a whole handful. I'm not going to call out names here on this podcast, but I, there's a lot of guys I'm thinking of right now who I sit back and I, and I don't want to sit there and judge a man's heart, but you know, you could tell if a tree is good or bad by its fruit mm. and you look at the fruit yeah. and you go, uh, and again, I say this going, I don't understand it all. Mm-hmm. I don't sit around the dinner table with this guy. I don't, I'm not with him in the morning when he is or isn't praying to the Lord. I, I'm not calling out judgment, but I'm calling into judgment some actions that are like inconsistent, I believe with, with what the Bible teaches. And, and you know what, for every, every one person like that, there's, there's thousands of Christian ministers who don't live that way, who right. don't preach those messages and don't have the platforms. And, but unfortunately the small handful that get the notoriety and, and publicity and preach this message that gets overlaid on the rest of us. So when I tell a story about a guy that makes a lot of money, deserted on a, on an Island says my pastor will find me cause I tithe. That's a stereotype that follows, but that's not, and that's funny because you're, it's funny because it's how the world thinks. But in reality, that's not what the Bible teaches. And, and the Bible teaches something completely different. Well, you don't speak about money very often. I know there are some preachers that do talk about money probably every week. Oh yeah. But that's definitely, um, not something that you do. And we actually really don't talk a whole lot about giving in our service, even though it is a form of worship and um, we're supposed to give from the heart and have the right heart to give. However, we don't spend a lot of time on giving in our worship service necessarily. Um, But why, why don't you speak a lot about giving or have mentioned, like there are churches that I know of that Take a good five or ten minutes every single week oh, and yeah. talk about how people need to be. Well, there's up and there's some preachers that every sermon feels like a tithing sermon, yeah. and um, somehow they tie it in. <laughs> somehow the they message. tie it in. <laughs> well, there's there's a couple of things. A, um, there are many that would say that Jesus taught more about money and treasure and the things money can buy than any other subject. Mm-hmm. And I think when you look at like his parables specifically, there's there's about 40 parables and, and you know, it depends on how you look at it, but 11 to 13 of them have something to do with money, treasure, the things money can buy. And that's kind of like the series we're in right now, but yeah. why don't I speak about uh, money and stuff? Well, I probably, be quite honest with you, I probably should talk about it more. Um, we've been so... Well, you know, just just kind of just talking out here with you and everybody else who is listening, you know, (laughs) this is our private conversation here. You know, there there's um, we have been the last couple of years really deep in the Old Testament, Mm -hmm. Genesis, Exodus, Mm -hmm. and then Joshua now getting ready to move into Judges. And I've been so, so deep in that and love. And there's tithings all over the Old Testament, by the way. And we're going to get into that a little bit in this series I'm in right now. But it just hasn't been the focus of the preaching. We spent quite a bit of time with this stuff getting ready for the launch of the Highlands Campus. And and many of you remember the Go West campaign that we did. Mm. That was so heavy yeah. and so focused and on... asking people to uh, Yes, and people gave big and, and for all of that. So, you know, this might be a little bit the pendulum swinging the other way. It was so much focus for a while, and then it's kind of swinging back the other way. And... And as we move forward, um, I'm going to try to see uh, about a little bit better balance mm-hmm. of, of bringing this up because it, the Bible talks so much about it. There is so much material in the scriptures mm-hmm. about really, really about generosity yeah. and about being rich towards God. That's really at the heart of it. That's what I talked about Sunday. What does it mean to be rich towards God? But... But, you know, tithing is a principle in the Old Testament. There's plenty of people that would say, well, tithing's not taught in the New Testament. But the principle of tithing and generosity and giving from the heart, you know, they're, there's, they're, they're connected at the hip, mm-hmm. you know. Um, so there are some preachers that would say the New Testament teaches tithing just like the Old Testament. Other side, it's not just from the heart. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, the underlining issue is, am I being rich towards God? Mm-hmm. And am I being rich God, towards God means, hey, do I acknowledge that everything comes from God? He is the source of everything. Everything I have um, is all from him. I wouldn't have it without him. He gave it to me. Now, whether we perceive that to be a lot or little, yeah. no matter what, it all comes from God. And then the second part of being rich towards God is, is having this mentality that everything I do have that came from him is available to him 
through me to be stewarded and that um, he can give, he can take away, but it's for his purposes. It, it all belongs to him. I'm just a steward of it for my time here on earth. And, um, and it's meant for kingdom building. Um, and I, I believe too, for our own personal enjoyment. I mean, but at the same time, it's living very open handedly and, and I'm being, being Christ man or Christ woman, you know, it's like, mm-hmm. so that's what it means. to. It's the concern is if your mentality of your money is look what I did for myself and right. I've stored it all for me because I'm trying to create this little bit of heaven on earth and I'm not thinking about eternity, which is, which is, you know, this series that we're started called generosity and the stories that Jesus told about. I'm taking these, these last three weeks of January here mm-hmm. to really focus in on more generosity. What did Jesus say about it? And, and does the way I think about, my money and my treasure and all that stuff, does it align with what Jesus taught about it? And so the first week in that series, I, I told the, I, I, I preached on Jesus parable, the rich fool mm-hmm. who, who had a windfall of income, great harvest, mm-hmm. and he didn't have enough barns to put it in. So this is where worldly thinking comes in. It's like, you know what I'll do? I'll just tear down those old small barns, build huge barns, and um, and I'll store everything that I have, and I'll have it for the rest of my life. And then from now on, I'm going to kick my feet up, take life easy, and I'm going to enjoy all of this wealth. And and um, basically, I've got all these storehouses full of stuff. What he actually was saying is, I'm going to create heaven on earth for me. Mm-hmm. And that was, and, and, and what's interesting in that parable is Jesus is telling the story, but in the parable, he switches it and he says, God said, you're a fool. Mm. You're a fool for doing that. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and this guy in this story, the last thing he ever thought was going to happen anytime soon was that he was going to die. Mm-hmm. Death was so far off the radar. I'm going to live my heaven on earth right now. And God's like, you're a fool. Mm -hmm. And this very day, your life will be demanded. Your soul is going to be called on account. And then here's what's going to happen. Someone else will now have to manage all this stuff that you worked for. You don't get to keep it. Don't get to keep it with you. And, um, And so the criticism was, this is the man that lived without God. And he died without God mm-hmm. and his sole focus was what he cre- could create on earth. And, and Jesus whole point was that's a foolish thing to do because you're focused on what's being created in eternity for you. Yeah. It's about kingdom mindedness. being rich towards God is about being focused on what is to come and how all these things on earth are, are really gifts from him to be used for him. And, and the last thing that Jesus said, and this is like that. This is like that. Oh, moment. Jesus said in Luke 12, 21, this is how it will be. Okay, the, the story of this dude. This is how it would be uh, with whoever stores up things for themselves but is not rich towards God. Mm. So the amount is not the issue. It's the heart. Yeah. And that really comes down to any conversation on tithing or offerings or giving. It all comes down to where your heart is. Because like I shared with the church, um, nobody can give me a definition of what rich is. Mm-hmm. Nobody, you know, um, um, I heard a preacher say one time and I kind of regurgitated what made a lot of sense to me is that if, uh, uh, you know, we don't know what rich is and we will never see ourselves as rich because we're always comparing ourselves to people who are richer than us. Mm-hmm. So if you ask somebody in a third world country to, to look at your life right now and say, they would say, oh my goodness, they are rich. They are mm-hmm. set for life. They are experiencing heaven on earth like mm-hmm. I never will. And then we hear that and we would say, we're not rich. Why would we say, wh- why would that person call us rich? And we would say, we're not rich. That's because we know somebody who's richer yeah. than us. So, so that next level up, you say, well, I'm not rich, but that guy's rich. Well, you ask that guy, are you rich? He would say, no, I'm not rich. Because there's another guy. Because I'm not rich, but I'll tell you who is rich. And you ask that, and it just keeps going up the ladder. Mm-hmm. Rich is a moving target. Mm-hmm. So that's hard to define. Mm-hmm. But what's easy to define is what it means to be rich towards God. And that's the whole heart of what Jesus was saying. It's the matter of the heart to be rich. So it doesn't matter what's in your checking account or not. It's about what's in your heart. And, and your surrender to the Lord and having this open-handed rich towards God's life. And that's at the heart of any conversation on tithing. And that's why I believe that Jesus said that the Lord loves a cheerful giver because cheer comes from the heart 
about giving. So, so is it wrong to store up things here on earth? You had mentioned in your sermon about savings accounts and extra homes and a boat and all these things. Is I mean, is that wrong? No, it's not wrong to have boats and planes and nice houses as long as you invite your preacher to come enjoy those. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> kind of, so no. what is storing up well, the treasures bi- here on earth? Well, that's a great question. And I think this comes back to the heart. What are you storing up those things for? Why do you have them? What is your goal? What's your, what's the, what do you, what do you think? Is this for kingdom purposes or for your own purposes? So no, to answer your question, there's a lot of people out there that store a lot of things and have a lot of things. Yeah. For the record, I can't find anywhere in the Bible where it says it's wrong or sin to be rich. And I told the church this on the weekend that, um, some of the most righteous people in the Bible were some of the wealthiest. Mm-hmm. Um, so no, I can't find where where it says, no, it's wrong to be rich. Now, I can point you to a lot of things that Jesus taught and the apostles taught that um, money can cloud judgment. Money can make it tough. Oh, money is a real obstacle for a lot of people. Money can bring a lot of problems. That is for sure. I, but, have, I have family, <laughs> a family situation that's very similar to that. And I feel like money may have ruined relationships. No, and, and, I, and I know exactly what you're talking about in life for them and where you have tons of money, but you have nothing else. That's right. Well, what's it say in first Timothy six ten, I believe that the, for the love of money is, is the root, root of, of all, all kinds evil. of evil. Yeah. 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 The love of money, not money itself. Right. The love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. And that verse goes on to say some people eager for money. Okay. That's all they want. They've wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Wow. I mean that, that verse, that was the apostle Paul writing Timothy and it was addressed. It was for to be shared with Christians. Mm-hmm. These are Christians who have wandered from the truth. They've, they've, they've grieved themselves up with all kinds of things because they were eager for money rather than being eager for the Lord. So there's a lot in the scriptures about the dangers of wealth but I can't find where it's it's a sin to be a wealthy person, and I don't believe that. It's, it all comes back down to the heart. It's not, not. Can you be a prepper? <laughs> well, let's let's talk about that because this <laughs> this was the, you know what what did Jesus say in that parable to the the rich fool? This is how it'd be with whoever stores up things for themselves. Now, you think of Y two K and all the preppers that took place there, storing up food and. There's that guy in Branson. He sells prepper food, and well, it, it comes down to your heart. What is the purpose of these things? So, so to answer your to to get kind of your question, that I'm just you asked, trying to figure out if I, I need to get a subscription or not. Now, this is an area of my life that I'm trying to grow in and understand. I want to be biblical. I want to have the heart of God. I want to be able to communicate what the Bible mm-hmm. says. So, and I'm just being honest. I can't find anywhere in scripture where it's wrong to be rich. And again, how do you define that? I'm very rich compared to a lot of people in this mm-hmm. world. You know, um, I don't consider myself rich when I compare myself to, but I'll tell you at the end of the day, compared to most of the world, we are extremely wealthy. Sure. So these scriptures about, you know, like says also Timothy warn those who are rich mm-hmm. among it does, you know, that the problems that can come, you know, some of those who are eager for wealth, you know, it's all comes to the heart. So let's just, Let's just say the assumption we're all rich, and I think we are um, in comparison to the rest of the world. So these, it's really easy to dismiss the teachings of the Bible. This is where this perspective goes. So like in Timothy chapter six, where it says, warn those who are rich. Well, the average Christian dismisses that because, oh, that's not for me because I'm not rich. But the reality is every warning to rich people in the Bible, every Christian America today should take that as if the Lord is saying it directly to them because we are rich compared to the rest of the world. So you take those in. And so what's the warning to us and what these parables that we're looking at on generosity and what Jesus taught there for us. So I know I don't think it's wrong to have a lot. It's about the heart. Is it wrong to have a savings account? I don't think so. Is it wrong to have investments? I don't think so. As long as you're still rich towards God, you know, when you being, I think being, you know, kind of 
Dave Ramsey teaches, and we've talked about Dave Ramsey stuff on here. Dave Ramsey talks about getting out of debt and building wealth so that you can be generous. Yes. He says generosity is the most fun thing you'll ever do with your money. Yeah. And it's not so that you can store up for yourself, but so that you can be generous. Now, yes, there are some great perks to having no debt and having a lot of savings, but you also can't be generous if you don't have that comfort level you can be generous with nothing too oh yeah you can you can have give all you have you some know of the most I mean? generous people i know don't have two nickels to rub together right but i think that that's why i think it's important that it's more about it's sometimes just about being ge- generous with what you have so people who have a lot can give a lot those who have a little can give a little well, like I said, it comes back down to the heart, being mm-hmm. rich towards God. That's the crux of the matter. So when Jesus said to multiple people in the New Testament, sell your stuff, mm-hmm. give to the poor. Mm-hmm. Um, don't store up things. on it. Well, how did people store up things back in Jesus's context? We store up stuff like in bank accounts, in um, in investments, and in real estate. That, that might be for most people. That's how we, we store stuff up. There's a few weirdos out there that have, you know, easy gold, on the gold, weir- easy on the weirdos comment, gold coins buried in their backyard or something like that. If but that's you. We apologize <laughs> right now, but go ahead and dig those coins up. Okay. <laughs> tithe <laughs> those in a vault. <laughs> tithe, tithe on them. Um, no, you're not weird if you do that. I mean, I understand, but so how did people store up things in Bible times? Well, um, do you remember the woman that anointed Jesus with that expensive perfume and, yeah. and Judas was all upset with her. It was like, th- that was Why like a year's you? worth of wages. Yeah. So she had something that was extremely valuable. Yeah. And that might've represented like the bulk of her wealth. Mm-hmm. So you store up expensive things like that. Um, you could uh, store up precious metals but and she cloth. she used it on him. She poured it out on him. Yeah. Um, she, so you could have uh, land, land, um, animals, uh, the more animals you had, the more servants you had to manage those animals, the, the, the more you stockpiled storehouses of food. So this, mm-hmm. this idea that Jesus said, a man's, I'm going to build bigger barns to store all this mm-hmm. food in, that was not an uncommon thing. Like, oh, yeah, you have storehouses of food. Um, you would have uh, precious metals. You would have cloth. You would have um, all kinds of things that people would store up of wealth. And I think Jesus was saying why are you storing up all this stuff? What good is it to have all these expensive perfumes when there's so many hurting people around? What What are you going to do with it? Why would you store up all these extra clothes mm-hmm. that you may or may not use? You know why would you know why would you have you know five hundred sheep and goats when really all you need is a hundred? You know I I don't I'm not a farmer I don't know what the needs were back then, but. It's like, where's your heart? What do you really need? And does it make a whole lot of sense to store up these things? You know, the next thing that Jesus said when he huddled up with his disciples after he told that story, he talks about, don't worry, don't do this. Like there's, there's, if you read reading into it, all of these extra things that you store up comes with worry. Mm. So if you have all this stuff stored up, then, then you're like, well, thieves can break in and steal it from me. And I have worry about that. If you have all of these clothes and these expensive things, moth and precious metals, moth and rust can destroy it. And we worry about those things. So our attention gets divided. How do I protect? How do I keep? How do, and, and I start to worry about all of these things. And Jesus is like, why do you worry about that stuff? Don't store it up for you. Live for the Lord. He'll take care of you. Look at the ravens. Look at the wildflowers. If you read that whole passage, he's challenging these disciples who didn't always know where their next meal was going to come from, who absolutely left everything to follow Jesus. Yeah. And he's like, we're not going to worry about that. We're going to be seek first my kingdom, my rights. Seek first the, what you're here to do, you, you know, what we're here to do. Let the Lord, he knows what you need, take care of it. And so really what each person I think has to do is I think we need to take a step back and look at what our goals are in life Mm -hmm. and, and really ask this question, am I trying to build a little heaven on earth for myself or at the expense of, I'm not thinking about eternity at all. It really comes down to the heart of the month. Am I, am I building my kingdom? Or am I focused on building Christ's kingdom? 
And I think that answers the question of what I'm No, I don't think it's wrong to have savings. Or I to don't remodel the kitchen. <laughs> remodel the kitchen. <laughs> I don't think that's wrong. Just making sure. <laughs> I don't think that there's anything wrong with having a retirement plan that sets you up to live your life the way you want to live in retirement when that income stops and planning for those days. I just think that's being wise. Mm-hmm. But there, there is a point where I think that can become the ultimate drive. Mm-hmm. And I think the heart of this matter is, are you being rich towards yourself? Or are you being rich towards God? What does that look like? It's the heart of the matter. And, and maybe, maybe if your goal is, I don't know, I'm just going to throw this number out there. It's an arbitrary number. I want to have $10 million worth of investments by the time I retire. What if that's somebody's goal? Not bad, Nicholas. Well, Not I mean, bad. I'd say you've done pretty well for yourself if you've if you've amassed a wealth like that. I think Jesus would say, and again, it comes down to your heart. I think Jesus might look and go, um, "Why do you need all that? Mm-hmm. What what are you trying to accomplish?" Now, if it's if it's like I'm building this wealth because when I pass this on, my children are going to take that and they're going to build orphanages and so like all kingdom kind of work. Well, build away and do it or do it now. Yeah. But, 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 but I'm wondering if, and again, I'm going to, if you're listening to me right now, I'm a work in progress. I'm always studying the Bible. I'm always learning. I'm trying to capture the heart of Jesus. I'm trying to apply that to my life. But I think when it comes to retirement, savings, investing goals, things, I think it's important to have all that. But the real question is the heart of the matter. Why am I, why did I set the goals and why am I amassing what I'm trying to amass when there's so many other things happening in this world? And could I be more worried about those things in the here and now than worried about what's happening in eternity is my trust more in what I can stockpile than what the Lord will provide. Those are the questions. When we talk about being aligned with the teachings of Jesus, those are the things that we have to really ask and answer because at the end of the day, the last thing I would ever want God to say about me is you fool, Mm -hmm. you fool. Um, You thought that you thought that what you could obtain in this life was more important than, than eternity. And you gave up eternity so you could amass a lot here. And, and that'd be a foolish thing. That's why this parable is called the parable of the rich fool. So, you know, to kind of wrap up this, this conversation, um, generosity comes back to the heart. That's the question we got to ask. Am I rich towards God? And if you're being rich towards God, that the the bank account number doesn't really matter. It's about your heart and living your life in such a way, just trusting God. My trust is not in a 401k. My trust is in my savior, Jesus Christ. My next meal is not dependent on my checking account. My next meal is dependent on the Lord's provisions. And that's the way we live our lives. And I think if you live your life that way, the Lord's going to, I don't think I know the Lord's going to take care of you. And then when it comes to tithing, and generosity, which we are going to spend some time with in this series, then, then that is a natural outflow of a heart that is is kingdom focused, that's rich towards God. All tithing, the kind that the Bible speaks about, is an overflow of a heart that's rich towards God. You want to give back. You like the Lord's blessed me. I want to respond faithfully because my trust isn't in money. My trust is in the Lord and I do want to give back and we'll dig into some of that in this series about where tithing came from, what's the heart behind it and how Christians should look at it today. So you can be a prepper. (laughs) (laughs) So in case you ever wonder, we do enjoy getting emails from our listeners and uh, one of our regular listeners let us know the other day that um, he has not been to Walgreens on Christmas. That's right. So we acknowledge we got your email. Thank you, Brian, because Joe thinks every man has been to to Walgreens. I never said every man. I said, or did he I? Specifically said he didn't even know Walgreens was open on Christmas. <laughs> you say that was such. I know. I feel like I have an alliance now with him. So we appreciate the email feedback. Can some of you guys give that? And so we're acknowledging we got that email. You tell me not to give up on. Um, Don't give up on your sourdough. Sour. And I'll be honest, I haven't started a new starter yet. But she's a little defeated. No, I'm not defeated. It just it's a it's a child. You have to feed it, and and then 
it basically has to go to the bathroom. You discard half of it. Okay. Every day. All right. We got to stop right there. Please don't talk about bread dough as going to the bathroom. And I mean, but I'll let you, you know, do. And I have a newfound determination to make cinnamon rolls. And I've joined a group on just on cinnamon rolls. Do you so, have to join a support group to make do, bread and cinnamon is, rolls? It is a support group. And it's funny because a lady asked a question on gluten-free sourdough the other day. And they did not allow her comment or her post. And she was like, how come I couldn't make a post? And they're like, we do not discuss gluten-free in this group of 450,000 people, which I do have to say. They sound like sourdough snobs. They probably are, but I'm starting to become one because I was like, well, I get that there are support groups for the gluten-free sourdough people, and these are just sourdough geeks, as they call themselves. Well, if they're not even going to allow a comment on gluten Anything gluten as far as their bread? It might have been a question. They didn't want to go down that road. I would say they're sourdough snobs. I'm coining a phrase right now. I'm trademarking a phrase right now. They're sourdough snobs. So, honey, please don't turn into a sourdough snob. And can I just suggest? (laughs) Don't even know if I'm going to ever even make a loaf. Can I just suggest that you stick with the bread that you already make? You make a great. Is it a Dutch oven loaf it's bread? It's just a Dutch oven loaf. And oh, it's but just what's so wrong easy. with that? Well, okay, you guys, here's the deal. Joe doesn't like sourdough bread. <laughs> I'm just going to cut right I'm to it, aren't you? I'm him right now. He doesn't like sourdough. I don't. And so when he heard that I was starting a sourdough starter, he thought that was crazy. Because well, he's like, why would you do that? No one here is going to eat it. <laughs> it's not my favorite bread. I don't I don't hate it. If that's the only choice if I got, I'm going to eat it. Sourdough, Abby, would you eat some sourdough bread? Oh, yeah. Yeah. See, I've gotten a lot. If that's the only bread available, I would not turn my nose up to it. But yes, you would. No, I wouldn't. You but, have. But, what, but I will say this. A hot loaf of bread, freshly made with some salted butter and spread on there. Where, Like literally the second the butter hits, it just melts into the grooves of the bread. That's like eating dessert to me. It is. And I've gotten to the point with my family of four that I have to make two loaves of bread. Boy, I'm sure glad bread is healthy. (laughs) (laughs) Is it not a health food? But it is really easy to make. I will say that if you're out there and you're like, oh, I can't make bread, um, you don't have to knead this bread, the Dutch oven bread. And you literally just mix it up in the morning, put it in on your counter, as long as your counter is not freezing cold, um, place it somewhere warm. And then um, seven to eight hours later, just throw it in your Dutch oven. Because it has risen. Boom. Yeah. So it's it's really simple that recipe, but I'm I'm looking for a little bit more of a challenge. Till next time. That's all for today's show. We want to thank our amazing producer, Abby O'Brien. Be sure to check out our show notes and the links for things that we talked about today. And don't forget to subscribe. Thanks for joining us on Under, Under the, the Hood. Hood. Not a car show.